and welcome to the 31st of May edition of Worcester Talking Newspapers. I'm Pippa Curtis, editor for this recording. The team for this week's edition comprises John Plush as recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying and admin, and our readers today are Catherine Neal and Phil Lee. If you'd like to say hello, both. Hello, this is Catherine. Hi, I'm Phil. There's only three of us today. Uh, we will, as usual, be reading in a clockwise order, um, but I'm sure you'll pick that up with only being three of us. I'm going to start with a big piece of news. Uh, there's a very special anniversary for Talking Newspapers coming up. It's 40 years since the Talking News hit the street, streets of Worcester, and to celebrate, please join us between 2 and 4 p.m. on Saturday the 28th of July in the Commandery Grounds. There will be music, displays and refreshments and all are welcome. And there may even be some of us there, I don't know. I haven't been invited yet, but if we get the invite, you might be able to meet us and the other teams too. So on to this week. Uh, First of all, some general notices. Please do keep sending us your feedback as the team here does want to make the recording as pleasurable and relevant as possible for you. If you have any comments or problems, our telephone number is 01905 767 766. Please be prepared for an answer phone to take your call. As usual, we have the headline stories, followed by local news, sport, selected radio programmes, obituaries, the thought for the day and the birthdays. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please get in touch and we can add your name to the birthday file. All the items follow on and you can stop and start them using the big buttons on your player. You can also hear the recording on our website, worcestertalkingnews.org.uk. This also has the magazine and past recordings and you can get the podcast version of this too. A reminder for our listeners about our Talking Book Library. It is free, it's constantly being updated, and we can provide a list of the books available either in large print, hard copy, tape or USB stick. If you aren't currently using the Talking Book Library and would like to access the books, do just get in touch. The main headlines this week are, starting with Thursday the... What's the 24th. Thank you, 24th of May. Sun slams atrocious cremation weight. First look at new three million city mosque. Jail for woman beater. Stop the sex and drug taking here. Sadly missed. And porch fraudsters con pensioners. That's a bit of a tongue twister. Right, so if you, Catherine, would like to start with the first headline for that Thursday, the 24th. Right. Um, So the headline is, Sun Slams Atrocious Cremation Weight. A grieving son has criticised Worcester Crematorium after he and his family waited five and a half weeks for his father to be cremated. Mark Stone's dad died on April the 7th, but the cremation at the Astwood Cemetery Crematorium did not take place until last Wednesday, May the 16th, which he called absolutely atrocious. 
Worcester City Council, which runs the crematorium, has offered a sincere apology for the delays and promised to look urgently at speeding up the process, including the possibility of Saturday funerals. It blames the delay on the sheer number of people requesting cremations. But Mr Stone said this causes unnecessary stress to bereaved families, but it's standard practice now, apparently. For me, it was more a question of Dad being alone in the mortuary. Mr Stone said he knew of others waiting the same amount of time for a cremation in Worcester, so it's not a one-off, he said. He says funeral directors told him it was the same sort of waiting time for a burial as for a cremation in the city. Mr Stone added, but then you have the issue of certain religions having to bury their dead the following day. What do they do then? He compared the situation to when his uncle died last year and was buried in Poic just 10 or 12 days later. I know budgets are having to cut councils are having to cut budgets but surely this is one area that they shouldn't be cutting can't they give those who've passed away and their families the respect they deserve he said he and his family knew it was coming but when they were told it would be over five weeks his thought was you must be joking on top of the wait mr stone has described the state of the crematorium as absolutely disgusting he said the grass around the old graves has not been cut there were loose bits of grass everywhere, and to cap it all, they were cutting the grass during the service. I'm older and it doesn't get to me so much, but some people would be devastated if they were cutting the grass during a family member's cremation. A city council statement said, We would like to offer a sincere apology for the delays with bookings for cremations at Astwood Cemetery. We're now urgently looking at how we can make improvements and we will be talking to local funeral directors and other partners about the potential for cremation services on Saturday mornings. We will be working with our staff to ensure high standards are maintained on the cleanliness of carpeted areas and the management of the lawns surrounding the chapel. Our Friday headline is First Look at New £3 million City Mosque and it's accompanied by a drawing of what the mosque may well look like when it's completed. Striking designs for a £3 million mosque set to be built in the city have finally been unveiled. Worcester Muslim Welfare Association, the WMWA, wants to build the mosque on the old Stanley Road car park in Worcester. The charity also intends to build apartments and a new sports centre at the site, which includes Unity House Community Centre. WMWA plans to move its mosque from Tallow Hill to Stanley Road to cater for its growing number of worshippers. Mohammed Iqbal, General Secretary of the Association, said, It's an exciting project. It's a very bold design. It's a piece of art. It's striking and iconic. We are moving away from the traditional to the more modern design. You can still tell it's Islamic by the calligraphy and the stonework. It works in harmony with other buildings in Worcester, like the hive with the gold-coloured tiles. The new building will also feature chimney-like minarets that have a functional purpose by helping to control temperatures inside the building. The Tallow Hill Mosque will be turned into an education complex, offering Quran lessons in the evening and other classes during the day. Mr Iqbal hopes the association can raise the cash for the new mosque over the next three to five years. He added, We have a growing population and we are planning for the years ahead. The existing place is not sufficient for the next five to ten years. 
He said that the current mosque has enough prayer space for 500 people, whereas the new build will be able to take up to around 1,300 worshippers. The association bought Unity House in 2006 and later acquired the Stanley Road School car park in 2017. Unity House has been used for community purposes and rental income since the purchase. However, under the plans, a new sports facility, including a youth room and a ladies' gym, will be built at the centre. The association hopes that the sports centre will help curb antisocial behaviour and encourage physical activity. There are also plans to demolish an old caretaker's home at the site and build four apartments in its place. These properties will be rented out to help raise funds for the new mosque. The overall development, including the sports centre and apartments, is expected to cost around £5 million. Mr Iqbal estimated that the planning application for the project will be submitted in July. Some residents told the association they liked the bold design at a consultation event in Unity House on Monday. And the headline for Saturday, May the 26th, Jail for Woman Beater. A dad who assaulted his terrified girlfriend had a temper tantrum when a judge told him to stop wallowing in self-pity. Sean Smith beat up his partner so badly at her Worcester flat, she was taken to A&E, receiving six stitches to her eye. The 46-year-old repeatedly interrupted the judge at Worcester Crown Court yesterday, crying, folding his arms, making denials, swearing at him and storming out of his seat during a heated video link hearing from Her Majesty's Prison Huell. Smith of Chedworth Close Warnden had previously been found guilty of two assaults, one on his partner and one on her friend, and driving a motor vehicle dangerously in Worcester. He admitted criminal damage, assault, occasioning actual bodily harm, and sending a malicious communication. Smith, who had been drinking, attacked his partner, Sandra O'Brien-Jones, at the Lion Hotel in Kidderminster on December the 26th last year, punching her on the cheek and nose, causing her nose to bleed. He also stamped on her child's toy, a remote control car, and punched the television. On February the 16th this year, Smith pulled her out of the car by her hair and drove his Seat Leon at her and her friend Cindy Godby. Smith clipped Miss O'Brien-Jones with the car and caused bruising to Miss Godby's ankle. Michael Connery, prosecuting, said Smith became incensed when he saw Miss O'Brien-Jones talking to a man in the Saracen's head in the tithing, Worcester, on March the 9th this year. Smith followed her to her flat, forced his way inside and punched her repeatedly in the face, causing an injury to her eye which needed six stitches. By the time police arrived, Smith had taken hold of a knife, which officers ordered, ordered him to drop. Mr Connery said of the victim, She was described as being absolutely terrified and worried for her safety. Sukhdev Bisler, defending, said Smith had not been able to see his two children from a previous relationship, which had developed into depression, and that he was drinking because he couldn't bear not seeing his children. He has attempted suicide in the middle of February. He attempted to take 100 paracetamol because of how he feels, said Mr Bisler. But Judge Jim Tyndall said Smith should attempt to reflect on his behaviour rather than continuing the self-pity, which caused the defendant to shout, It's not self-pity! 
Judge Tyndall referred to Smith being found in possession of a knife after a sustained assault, but the defendant interrupted, telling him, I wanted to kill myself, that's why. The judge, who told him to be quiet, said, Clearly you're not able to control your emotions or your temper. The judge said, What has happened in the last year or so is that you have developed clear depression as a result of the situation with your children. That is regrettable, and I have some sympathy. But the reality is that no one ever solves depression by drinking heavily or by repeatedly attacking their partner, which is what you have done. He said it was also particularly unpleasant that he had stamped on her child's Christmas present on Boxing Day. The judge said of the assault on March the 9th, when she called the police, you pleaded with her to stop. When police were on the way, you decided to take all your emotion and anger out on her by subjecting her to a serious, sustained assault. Judge Tyndall jailed him for 16 months and banned him from driving for 12 months. If he wants to drive again, Smith must complete an extended retest. Um, and we're moving on to Monday, May the 28th now, and the headline is Stop the Sex and Drug Taking Here. Business, business owners plea for security gates at derelict shops. A business owner says he's seen people having sex and overdosing on drugs outside two derelict buildings in a notorious city street. An application has been made for security gates on the shop units opposite McDonald's in Angel Street, Worcester, which were formerly home to BSM and The Mine Jewellers. Javid Hassan, the owner of the shop next door, RE Mobile Repair Centre, told the Worcester News he has to call the police at least once a day and has lost count of the number of times he's had to call ambulances due to people overdosing on drugs. Mr Hassan said, The security gates are needed as a matter of urgency. People think that Angel Street is a horrible place and it definitely affects our business. People do not want to go along this street. We have to call the police at least once a day, if not twice a day. People take drugs there and we in the street. It is disgusting. They also drink in the street. Rough sleepers are in the shop doorways and beg for money from passers-by. They leave heaps of rubbish outside the doorways. One time I came to the shop and saw people actually having sex there. Something needs to be done urgently. I think the gates will help. The owners of the businesses in Angel Street have been contacted several times by a fire officer over a risk of fire in the doorways, the application says. There are plans to have flats and a new shop at the buildings, which have been left empty for a number of years. In the plans, two flats are proposed to be built on the upper floors, with the ground floor used as a shop. In August, we reported how diners in McDonald's watched a young woman apparently overdose on drugs in Angel Street, outside the shops. A witness reported seeing her lying in the street with a syringe in her arm as horrified onlookers, including children, watched from McDonald's. The application claims that the external gates are urgently required with other proposals set to be submitted in connection with the refurbishment of the ground floor. Planning applicants H.J. and M.E. Hickman added, there is a problem with rough sleepers using the doorway, resulting in access being blocked. 
Although police officers have been seen checking on any person in the doorway, they tend to leave them alone, not move them. Further, the phone shop next door is also adversely affected by this problem. So a means of removing public access to the V-shaped entrance when the shop is not in use is urgently required. At present, it's not known which business will take over the shop. The unit, previously belonging to BSM, British School of Motoring, has been unused since 2002. Worcester City Council will decide whether to grant the request to install the security gates. The headline from Tuesday's newspaper is sadly missed. Relatives have marked what would have been the birthday of a popular taxi boss who died aged just 32 last month by donating food to the homeless. Seamus Hussein's family celebrated his 33rd birthday yesterday by cooking Asian dishes for Worcester's Needy. His brother Cam said the father of two who worked as a manager at Central Taxis Worcester will never be forgotten. Mr Hussein was in Pakistan for his sister's wedding when he died during his sleep from a heart attack in April. Cam Hussein, aged 23, of Batten Hall Road, Worcester, said yesterday, We are doing this because my brother was very charitable himself. He donated money to the mosque, and they have their own groups they give to. On his birthday, we wanted to do something in his memory. We are making the food at home. We have brought some desserts from Tesco, trifle and stuff, and my mum is making biryani. We are making sweet dishes as well and doing starters and stuff, samosas and kebabs. It's Asian cuisine. The homeless will have something different today. For the evening meal, I've arranged some extra large pizzas from a shop in Worcester. Cam added that his family is still struggling to come to terms with the loss of Mr Hussein. He said, everyone is quite upset at home, but we have something to do today, so everyone is knuckling down and getting the food. All my family and cousins are taking part today. Cam remembered his brother as a kind, loving, bubbly person. He said, we all love him. He's always there as a memory. He was all the good stuff in one. He never had a frown on his face. Cam added that his brother was an avid traveller who took two holidays a year, visiting 32 countries in total. He said he got to see so much of the world in such a short time. In the last three days before he passed away, all he kept saying was he wanted to go to Saudi Arabia for a pilgrimage. For us as Muslims, that's a really big thing. We believe that if the intention was there, his pilgrimage was complete. The family handed over food to Mag's Day Centre and Worcester Street Cafe for two soup kitchens yesterday. Mr Hussein is survived by his brother, four sisters, parents, wife and two daughters. Central Taxis Worcester is owned by Mr Hussein's father, Najabat Ali. And finally, the headline for Wednesday, May the 30th. Porch fraudsters con pensioner. Fraudsters, it's a difficult word to say, fraudsters conned a pensioner out of thousands of pounds with the promise of fitting a new porch and then did a runner. Three men in a white van persuaded the 74-year-old, who did not wish to be named, to withdraw £5,000 to fit a porch before writing a receipt on a betting slip and disappearing. The conman arrived out of the blue at the man's arboretum home last Sunday, May the 20th, and offered to repair his rundown porch, initially for £150, which he agreed to. I feel like a bloody fool for letting it happen, he told the Worcester News. It did need repairing, but they've just knocked the whole porch down and then told me I need a new one. 
The man, a former engineer who's lived in, Ar in the Arboretum for 35 years, said the fraudsters knocked the porch down on Monday and returned the next day, wanting £5,000 to fit a new one. Like a fool, I got it for them, and as soon as I handed it over, they went away, he said. The fraudsters then failed to return on May the 23rd and called the pensioner to tell him that there'd been a mix-up with getting materials for his new porch. They just kept making excuses, and so I went to the police, he explained. Kathleen Barrett, the fraud victim's sister-in-law, who was away on holiday at the time, said he had asked for a receipt, which was then written on a betting slip. On the day the men had taken the money, one persuaded him to get into the van and drove him around for half an hour. They just drove him around to distract him, and he'd left the others there with his front door wide open, said Mrs Barrett. Nothing was missing from the house when he got back, but they've probably gone through everything. They've probably looked at his bank statements and, well, we don't know what else. Mrs Barrett claimed the police told her brother-in-law he was unlikely to get his money back and there was very little they could do, as it was a civil dispute. On Thursday, May the 24th, the fraudsters returned to the man's home and demanded another £2,000, which he agreed to, but only if they returned on Saturday. Mrs Barrett said he was hoping to entrap them and call the police, but the fraudsters didn't show up. We have said to him, don't dare give them any money, said Mrs Barrett of Ronxwood. For the life of me, why he gave them £5,000 in cash, I will never know. He's such an intelligent man, usually. I would hate this to happen to anyone else, she added. The man went on to say, I'm just feeling daft. I'm on my own and my health is rubbish at the moment. I had shingles four years ago and still have problems from it. He said he's come to terms with the fact that he's lost his money, but the incident was, quote, traumatising. I feel such an idiot and I just want to forget it all. I can't believe I did it. So that wraps up the headlines for the week and now if we're all ready yes i think we are um we'll carry on with some of the general news stories Catherine, are you okay to start yes i've got a, a story here which is entitled pupils return cross to rightful place a wooden remembrance cross found in worcester has been returned to its rightful place at a memorial dedicated to a fall fallen soldier Nunnery Wood High School students travelled to the First World War battlefields and memorial grounds in France and Belgium in order to return the lost cross. B. Bannister, a teacher and former serviceman who accompanied the trip, found the wooden cross by Worcester Rubbish Reclamation Centre on Bilford Road. Despite an appeal to reunite it with whoever had dropped it there, it remained unclaimed, and so it was decided to return it to the grave of the soldier named on the cross, Private Alfred Perry. 28 Year 8 students and four members of staff found a memorial for the fallen soldier in Tynecott Cemetery. His body was not recovered, and so his name features on the memorial wall in the cemetery. Students then laid the cross, as well as a wreath, at the site. Jack Wise, who laid the cross, said, I thought it was important to lay the cross because the soldier deserved to be recognised for what he did. I wanted to go on the trip to show my respect for all of the men who were killed and to actually see the extent of graves and memorials. Mr Bannister said the cross had a lot of information on it, including the soldier's name, rank, service number and date of his death, 
so it obviously meant something to someone. Being an ex-serviceman, I had always wanted to visit the battlefields and this gave me the ideal incentive to be involved in a school visit and return the cross. Some of the children had relatives buried in the many cemeteries that we visited and enjoyed the task of finding named graves and they were very keen to find the memorial to Private Alfred Perry of Bromsgrove and replant the cross. The trip was partly sponsored by local businesses D&T Limited as well as Carvas which donated printed t-shirts for students to wear on the trip and to keep as a souvenir. The school plans to commemorate the centenary of the First World War with a range of activities. All departments at the school will contribute before the final event will be a remembrance evening held at 7pm on November the 9th and open to the school as well as the wider community. The headline here is Cheerleaders Inspire. A cheerleading team has gone from strength to strength since winning a prize at the City of Worcester Sport Awards. Last September, the Worcester Sinners won the Higher Education and Further Education Award, which recognises any individual or club who has made a significant contribution to physical activity and sport in those areas. Following on from the awards, the Sinners, who are based at the University of Worcester and made up of students, have achieved more success. They have attended four competitions and achieved two first places, one second and one third. On April 24th, the Sinners completed against their rival, the University of Gloucestershire, in the annual varsity cheerleading competition, and for the third consecutive year, Worcester was victorious. Freedom Leisure, which organises the City of Worcester Sport Awards, wants the Sinners' story to inspire people to nominate teams and individuals for a prize. Matthew Rogers, Freedom Leisure Active Communities Manager, said, We know Worcester is full of sporting talent, inspiring stories and dedicated coaches, athletes and clubs, and we can't wait to showcase these at the 15th Annual City of Worcester Sport Awards evening. So, if you know any local sporting heroes who have shown great dedication since August 2017, then show them the recognition they deserve by nominating. And this is a story um, with the headline, Green Light for Fish Pass. Fish that have been unable to access historic spawning grounds since the Diglis Weir was constructed will soon be able to get upriver. A scheme put forward by the Canal and Rivers Trust to build a fish pass at Diglis Weir was approved by Worcester City Council's planning committee. The tunnel, filled with water along the side of the river, will bypass the weir and allow the fish, such as Twait and Alice, Shad and Sea Lampreys, to get upriver. It will also feature an underwater viewing gallery to let people see the fish as they head upstream. At a meeting on Thursday, the main point of contention was the disruption that may be caused by construction traffic. Although there is a sewage plant close to the site of the weir, Seven Trent has not agreed to allow construction traffic through it. Therefore, up to 12 trucks journeys a day might be made for nine months down Kingfisher Path, which runs from Bromwich Road to the river. Bill Jay spoke against the plan on behalf of residents living by the entrance to the path. He said, They are very worried about this construction traffic. There will be noise and dust. In the summer months they won't be able to sit open. They won't be able to open their windows or sit outside. They are also worried about the effect on the foundations of their house of all these heavy 20-tonne trucks entering the lane. 
Jason Leach for the Canal and River Trust said the Trust has offered to survey the residents' houses before and after construction and to put right any damage caused. Councillors Adrian Gregson and Pat Agar were critical of Seven Trent for not being more flexible. The Fish Pass is part of a larger project called Unlocking the Seven for People and Wildlife, with three other passes around weirs on the rivers in Witchhaven and Malvern districts already approved. Councillor Chris Cawthorne said, This is one of the most exciting things I've heard of for a while. This will not just benefit Worcester or Worcestershire, but the whole of the river in three counties. This story is from Friday, May the 25th, and it, uh, its headline is Ceiling Fell on Children. Pupils were lucky to escape without serious injuries after a school ceiling collapsed. Four pupils were hurt, suffering cuts and bruises, when a suspended ceiling in a classroom at King's School, Worcester, came down during a lesson last Thursday, May the 17th. An investigation is underway. The classroom was on the ground floor of the Annett building, which is used for Year 7, Choir and Mathematics, and was built by Speller Metcalf Limited in 2001. A source has told the Worcester News that it appears the ceiling was installed incorrectly. They said, somebody has used the wrong fixings and they've collapsed. A plastic plug type of fixing has been used, which is nowhere near the right sort. You need a metal plug. It's given up under the pressure of the weight. They said this type of ceiling includes a metal grid and electrical wiring. This thing is heavy and can come down with quite a bang, they said adding it could quite easily cause serious injuries. Helen Jackson, school bursar, described it as a shock. She said there were some cuts and bruises suffered, but nothing serious. The school said it could not confirm the age of children involved. We're currently in the process of removing the ceiling, she said. We haven't got to the bottom of the cause. The children were well taken care of and parents were called. All of the key personnel did what they needed to. From the school's perspective, everyone did their jobs extremely well. Mrs Jackson confirmed the incident happened first thing in the morning and parents of those hurt were invited to come and collect their children. She said the injuries were treated in the school's medical room and no hospital treating was required. She added, the area was closed off and classes had to be moved. It will take about a month in terms of restoring the space. An SML spokesman said a small section of plasterboard ceiling collapsed. He added the company took immediate action to assess the ceilings throughout the affected teaching block. He added, as a precautionary measure, we're working with our subcontractor to replace four additional ceilings within the Annet building. We've also undertaken investigation into all other projects we delivered at King's and are satisfied no other buildings are affected. Right, Saturday, May 26, plans to expand popular restaurant. A popular Chinese restaurant in the city is looking to expand into the bridal store next door. Singapore Restaurant in Fry Street wants to create an opening between the restaurant and the former Perfections Bridal Studio store. If its plans get the go-ahead, the business would be able to cater for an extra 40 customers. The plan has been welcomed as a boost to economic growth in the area. Both buildings are Grade 2 listed and both are within the historic city conservation area. 
The heritage officer on the planning team at Worcester City Council said the work required was negligible and reversible and shouldn't be opposed. The proposals will ensure the continued use of this historical and locally important building without creating any detrimental harm to the building. Arguably, as an extension to number two, the building will be appreciated by a greater audience than at present. Fiona Allen, Development Control Engineer, on behalf of Karen Hanchett, Transport Planning and Development Manager Officer, Management Officer at the County Council, offered no objection. She said, the Highway Authority has undertaken a robust assessment of the planning application based on the analysis of the information submitted and consultation responses from third parties. The Highway Authority concludes there would be no severe impact and therefore there are no justifiable grounds on which an objection could be maintained. The City Council Archaeology Officer said there were no issues arising from the application. Perfection's Bridal Studios ceased trading in April 2018 and the building had served as a bridal shop since the mid-1980s. Singapore Restaurant has been on the site since the mid-1990s. The restaurant has a 4.8 out of 5 rating on Facebook with 63 of 70 reviewers rating it 5 stars. The Food Standards Agency rated the eatery 4 out of 5 for food hygiene in July 2017. I'm going to continue with my um, nature theme. This is a story about finding out more about our wildlife. A project to help encourage pollinator wildlife habitats in urban areas has been set up in Worcester. The 12-month scheme, situated in Tolodyne, includes the introduction of wildflowers and pollinator habitats at Hollymount School on Hollymount and at sheltered housing facility Rowan Court in May Avenue. It aims to increase the number of pollinators, such as bees and butterflies, in built-up areas and involves recording wildlife and insect box-making, amongst other activities, for both children and residents. The project, which began last month, is a joint enterprise between Worcestershire Wildlife Trust, Fortis Living and Hollymount School. Head teacher Emma Pritchard said... Our children love our outdoor learning environments and have been involved in developing our gardens and woodland areas. The opportunity to develop this further, whilst learning about pollinators, is one we are very excited about. It also gives us the opportunity to involve parents and members of the community with the work we do within school. Ray Howard Levain, Senior Engagement Officer for Worcestershire Wildlife Trust, said... We are delighted to be delivering this project, which aims to make a difference for wildlife and people in the area. The scheme developed by Worcestershire Wildlife Trust is a national pilot with plans for it to be rolled out to other trusts nationwide next year. Paul Edwards, Community Officer at Fortis Living, said, This is a fabulous project which will have a lasting impact on the local community. Increasing pollinators in Tolodyne is the main aim, along with increasing residents' knowledge of nature and wildlife and encouraging and inspiring local children and young people. And this is a story about um, something that's been found in Geluvelt Park. Teapot unearthed at New Pavilion. Builders working on a new Sons of Rest pavilion at Gellivelt Park have unearthed a number of historic finds, including a teapot. 
The new pavilion is being built next to the splash pad, and workers have found several bottles and pieces of china, and one of the workers, Damon All, discovered a near-intact teapot. Experts at the Potteries Museum and Art Gallery in Stoke-on-Trent have confirmed it was a product of William Adams and Sons and dates from between 1903 and 1936. The teapot features the wording W.T. Martin, G.W.R. Corwin, and it was almost certainly ordered by a Dudley caterer, W.T. Martin, who in 1903 took over the running of the refreshment room on the Great Western Railway's line to Corwin, a picturesque town in North Wales. Prior to Gellivelt Park's opening in 1922, part of the site was used to deposit domestic refuse. Worcester City Council has made contact with the heritage line Llangollen Railway to arrange for the teapot to be donated to them for a new terminus being built in the village. Councillor Alla Ditter, the Deputy Mayor of Worcester, said how the teapot survived for almost a century underground and is still intact today remains a mystery. It's been impressive to see how the new pavilion is shaping up. It's going to be a really useful facility for the whole community to use throughout the year. The pavilion is set to open to the public in mid-July. Now, how about this? 91-year-old ascends Mount Snowdon. A 91-year-old man is refusing to let age be a barrier from living his life to the full. Fred Goebel from Worcester vowed to make the most of his good health after losing his wife last year and celebrated his birthday at the top of Mount Snowdon. The idea came to Mr Goebel after his granddaughter Anna described the trip to him. Without even blinking, he said, let's do it, she said. Mr Goebel took the train up the mountain and took the steps to the summit, climbing the last few on his hands and feet. I said to him, be careful, I don't want you hurting yourself, said Mrs Humphreys. He said to me, I'm not coming this far without doing it. Mr Goble celebrated at the top with a birthday cake and was presented with a bottle of Welsh whisky and a model of the mountain train. Staff and passengers on the return train trip sang happy birthday to him. Mrs Humphreys added, he doesn't understand how inspirational he is. He always says happiness costs nothing and if you smile, you can make someone else smile. Uh, respect to Mr Goble. I recently climbed Snowdon and it's a long way and very high. I know he went on the train, which is different, but still, I'm not 91. <laughs> I'm, uh, I've got a lovely story here, which um, is accompanied by a fabulous picture of 11 smiling women dressed in some slightly interesting outfits. But anyway, I'll tell you what it's about. It says, women bear all for Macmillan. But don't worry, the photo isn't of them with nothing on. A group of women met for the first time in Worcester to shoot photos for a special charity calendar. The women met for the Calendar Girls-inspired photo shoot at the Green Hub in Dines Green on Sunday, May the 27th, with local photographer Kim Russell-Smith. Emma Griffiths, who is from Willenhall, organised the event in the city, as most of the women taking part came from across Worcestershire, including Kidderminster and Evesham. Mrs Griffiths contacted the charity and then set up a Facebook group to organise the calendar shoot. Most of the women met for the first time on Sunday. Each woman wore a bright coloured top to represent a different form of cancer. The photographs will now be put together into a calendar to be released later this year to raise money for Macmillan Cancer Support. 
the women have collectively raised more than £1,000 for the cancer charity. And this story goes a little bit further afield to Malvern. Lodge plan approved. Controversial plans for holiday lodges in a wood near Malvern got the go-ahead this week to the dismay of local residents. The Three Counties Agricultural Society originally applied to build 50 lodges and a reception building in Langdale Wood off Blackmore Park Road. But this was turned down by Malvern Hills District Council in January. A petition against the first proposal received over 1,200 signatures. Critics argue that plans will destroy the woodland, which is a popular spot for walking. But the Three Counties Agricultural Society says there is a shortage of accommodation in the area and that the project will help to secure its financial future. A second application, with the number of lodges reduced to 40 and a smaller reception building, was on the agenda at a meeting on Wednesday. Robert Lamb, chairman of Hanley Castle Parish Council, said the reduction in size of the plan did not overcome its objections based on the loss of a valuable amenity, its weak commercial justification and noise and traffic issues. But members of the District Council's Southern Area Planning Committee voted 11 to 6 to approve the plan. There were cries of shame from local residents attending the meeting. Speaking after the meeting, Ken Nottage, the Society's Chief Executive, said, We're delighted that Malvern Hills District Council's Planning Committee has approved our application to develop a lodges park within Langdale Woods. Our thanks go to all those who are part of this democratic process. It is now for the trustees of the Three Counties Agricultural Society to determine the way forward. This project will contribute significantly towards securing the long-term future for the society. An application was made to have the wood declared an asset of community value, but that was turned down in March. New Police Chief Val. A new policing commander has pledged to continue to protect the public and tackle, quote, difficult issues affecting people across South Worcestershire. Superintendent Damien Pettit has been appointed as Superintendent for South Worcestershire to help deliver local policing across the West Mercia and Warwickshire Police Alliance. He began his new role on Monday. Speaking about this role, Superintendent Pettit said, I am proud to be appointed to lead such a fantastic policing team which is committed to keeping people safe and solving issues that are affecting our communities. I will continue the strong ethos of providing access to police when the public need us, as well as tackling difficult issues affecting people in South Worcestershire, so that it remains a safe, vibrant and pleasant place to live, work and enjoy. Chief Superintendent Mark Travis added, I am delighted Damien has remained with the team as he moves into his new rank to support local policing in Worcestershire. He brings with him a variety of skills, including safeguarding, local policing and investigations. And, as Kevin leaves, Damien will continue to implement the new policing model. In his previous rank as a Chief Inspector, Superintendent Pettit operated across North Worcester as part of the command team and as Wire Forest District Commander. He was responsible for managing operations across safer neighbourhood teams and patrols, emergency calls for assistance and working with communities to solve problems and the issues affecting them. 
As Chief Inspector, he also managed large-scale change projects within West Mercia Police and with partners. In addition, he previously worked as Detective Chief Inspector, where he was responsible for safeguarding vulnerable people across Herefordshire and Worcestershire. He took over from Superintendent Kevin Purcell, who was recently promoted to Chief Superintendent for the Shropshire and Telford policing areas. This headline is from Thursday, May the 24th. Shoebox set up in city's main square. An arts organisation will install a giant shoebox in the city's main square to give locals an insight into other people's lives. The free pop-up exhibit called A Mile in My Shoes will appear in Worcester's Cathedral Square today, ahead of the official opening tomorrow. People will be able to put on someone else's shoes inside the installation and then listen to that person's life story via headphones. More than 150 audio stories, ranging from prostitutes to refugees, will be available while the exhibit is open between May the 25th and June the 3rd. Local arts group The Company of Others has also recorded 20 life stories in Worcestershire to add to the mix. Kitty Ross, director of the group, said, This is the first of many exciting international projects that the company of others will be presenting in the region and sets a benchmark for the scale and ambition of work to come. A Mile in My Shoes is an extraordinary project and we're thrilled to be adding Worcestershire Voices to the growing international collection. The Empathy Museum commissioned the project to boost understanding about the difficulties many people face in their lives. Worcester City Council has granted permission for the shoebox, which will be outside the All Bar One, and a guide will be available to offer locals a helping hand to walk down the high street in their borrowed shoes. A spokesman for the Empathy Museum said, Each pair of shoes on the shelves belongs to the narrator of one of the A Mile in My Shoes stories. Customers will be invited to temporarily exchange their own shoes for a pair belonging to a stranger, before donning a pair of headphones and taking a walk with the stranger's shoes on their feet and their voice in their ears. The simple act of slipping into someone else's shoes and spending some time listening has the profound effect of connecting people with our shared humanity and at a time when divisions are especially rife, building understanding and empathy. When the exhibition in Worcester ends, the shoebox will go on a tour, stopping in Manchester London, Kendall, Brighton, Moray Firth and finally New York. The project has received funding from various sources and will be open between 10am and 5pm. And in case you want to go, it will close on the 3rd of June. This story is about a new accessibility guide. A new accessibility guide proves information provides information, I should say, on the best and worst of the city shops, pubs, restaurants, cinemas, theatres and public buildings. The guide has been published by disability organisation Disabled Go after surveyors went out to 400 sites in the city earlier this year, collecting hundreds of pieces of information, including measurements and photographs. Every place included in the accessibility checker has its own access guide, which includes details such as parking, entrances and toilets. The information isn't just about physical access, it also covers areas 
that people with visual impairments, hearing impairments, autism, dementia, learning disabilities and mental health issues have all highlighted as important. David Livermore, director from Disabled Go, said, We're genuinely excited to launch the accessibility checker to Worcester, having received so much positive feedback from disabled people, carers and community organisations in the lead-up to the launch event. We know the positive impact that having this level of accessibility information brings and really hope other towns and cities will follow Worcester's lead. Worcester City Council has really embraced the concept of an accessible city and we're proud to work alongside them to support them in achieving their ambitions. The free service can be found at disabledgo.com. There is a search bar where a particular location can be found or a general list can be discovered by searching for Worcester. Councillor James Stanley, Chairman of the Communities Committee at Worcester City Council, said The City Council is fully committed to making Worcester an inclusive, safe and welcoming city and we're proud to have supported Disabled Go's Guide. This will be a really useful tool to help customers and visitors plan ahead removing the fear of the unknown and enabling them to get the most out of their next visit to Worcester. New pavilions set for historic field. The final piece in the jigsaw in bringing a famous old sports field back into use has been given the go-ahead. Councillors on Worcester City Council's planning committee approved Heart of Worcestershire College's application to build a new pavilion on the Cinderella Sports Ground off Bransford Road in St John's. But the new building makes no attempt to recreate the look of the old rustic pavilion, which is still on site and starting to become very dilapidated. Discussions about removing the building and transporting it to Avoncroft Museum in Bromsgrove continue. One concern was raised by Councillor Alan Amos, who feels the land should be used by local nearby residents, as well as the college's sports teams and local community clubs. He said, the land is surrounded by two very large social housing estates where there is very little open space. There are not many places for youngsters to kick a ball around in the area and I think we should have allowed this. The council's legal officer, Georgina Coley, said it wasn't possible in the agreement which allowed the authority to lease the ground when it gave permission for houses to be built on the next door factory site. Councillor Joe Hodges said, I'm really sad to see the old pavilion in such a sad state. This is a historic ground where WG Grace played, so I'm glad to support this plan to bring it back into use. The new pavilion will be a much plainer box construction, a single story with a covered terrace. It will also be in a different position from the old one, moved from behind a bowler's arm. The original one is in the sight line of batsmen at one end of the pitch. But to mark the site of the old building, there will be a commemorative feature of a raised brickwork plinth with blocks emerging at different heights. The Cinderella ground was the first home of Worcestershire County Cricket Club and was the sports and social ground for Kay's employees until the business closed in 2007. Uh, This story has a headline, Party Time for Teens. Club nights for under 18-year-olds have been a success in Worcester. Anne Nichols, team manager from the South Worcestershire Community Partnership, said the numbers of people attending the specially arranged nights for 13 to 16-year-olds at Sin Nightclub are increasing. At the last event, she said, the queues were right to the top of New Street. 598 young people attended. 
Miss Nichols also said, parents can drop them off and we make sure they're happy and safe. We make sure everybody gets home safely. No one is allowed to hang around outside. We make sure they get a taxi or go to the bus stop if they, sorry, they go to the bus stop or get a taxi if they need one. The police work with the council on the events known as the bounce events. Miss Nichols said, if we know someone is at risk, we work as a partnership to make them safe. The atmosphere is great. They're jumping up and down and dancing. It's a chance for them to have a good night in a safe venue. We're equipped to deal with any eventuality. Ian Ian Cadwallader, part of West Mercia Police Cathedral team, said, We provide a police presence for reassurance. If they are worried about anything, they can come and speak to us. If any undesirables turn up, we deal with them and prevent them troubling the young people. Mr Cadwallader said, It is really good and very positive. It keeps them out of trouble and gives them some downtime to enjoy themselves and not to worry about things like the pressures of being a teenager and exams. The next bounce event is on Wednesday, May the 30th. Ah, you missed that one. But if you go to C at Bounce Worcester, and that's all lowercase and all joined up, on Facebook for more details. And this story is about parking uh, concerns near the hospital. More residents have spoken of their safety concerns over street parking near Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Last week, Andy Hearn, who lives with his wife and two children in Hoskins Avenue, said there will be a major accident if something is not done to reduce the amount of cars parking in residential streets near the hospital. Mr Hearn said at least 40 cars a day park in Shaftesbury Green, Roundtree Gardens, Hoskins Avenue and Collings Avenue, even though the owners don't belong in those streets. He believes about 20% are hospital staff and the rest are office workers. Following the article, readers expressed their own concerns online, posting on the Worcester News website. One user said... People have been raising this as a safety issue for years, including directly to the Worcestershire Royal Hospital and the various councils, but with the exception of the parish council, there is no action. Those of you who will inevitably accuse residents of not wanting people to park there are correct. The reason for it is because the roads are too narrow for en-masse parking. A good number of corners are unsighted, so parking on them is foolhardy at best, dangerous at worst. Pavement parking simply blocks pedestrians and forces them into the road on the blind corners. The little island on Hoskins is completely covered and surrounded by parked cars. You can't see a thing. In the last couple of months, I've had several near head-ons caused by people parking on blind bends. I've had someone drive into the back of me a few years ago because of folks parking quite literally on a T-junction and blocking visibility. Another contributor argued, residents just don't like people parking there. People parking legally and safely still get their cars keyed, tyres let down, marked with pen and nasty notes left. In reaction, another user said, To say the majority of these parked cars belong to residents is nonsense. They start arriving by around 8am and are gone by early evening. A Worcestershire acute hospital NHS Trust spokesman said 141 extra parking spaces would be created at the hospital in the next 12 months and that staff can use a free park and ride from six ways.
A county council spokesman said it was looking at ways to improve the situation. My headline here is Cake Sale Held in Memory of Gala. A kind-hearted youngster held a successful fundraising cake-bake sale at her Walden school in memory of her aunt. In 2016, the Worcester News reported on Amelia Lomax, who raised hundreds of pounds through having her long blonde locks cut off for the Little Princess Trust. More than £500 was raised on that occasion for the brain tumour charity which helped her aunt, Gala Rowley, who was heartbreakingly diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumour in 2008 at the age of just 27. Sadly, the seven-year-old's aunt, who raised thousands for charity, passed away in April after her 10-year battle with the disease. Mum, Caroline Doherty, said Amelia was very close to her aunt and really enjoyed doing charity work with her. They did the Twilight Walk in Warwickshire three consecutive years and even did a promotional video for the event. May the 14th would have been Gala's birthday, so Amelia wanted to do something to celebrate her memory. Knowing how much her aunt loved cake and how passionate she was about fundraising and raising awareness, Amelia decided a charity bake sale for St Richard's Hospice was the answer. Gala had spent her final month in their care and even married her partner of eight years there, with them unexpectedly providing an epic wedding cake. They went above and beyond and cannot be praised enough. The cake sale was held at Amelia's school, Oasis Academy, and staff, including head teacher Emily Hobson, promoted the event. Amelia and her mum spent three days baking cakes and biscuits for the event, while they also received donations for fellow students. From sale on May 14th, £57 was raised, but as more than half of the cakes weren't sold, the school allowed Amelia to hold a second day of sales, which managed to raise £112.40. Miss Doherty added, Despite a second sale, we were still left with enough cake to feed a small army, so we took it to St Richard's Hospice for staff to enjoy, as a thank you for all their hard work and care. Amelia's father, Matthew, and I are extremely proud of her efforts. She is determined to continue her aunt's charity work. What a nice story to finish on. Um, We will now, I think, move on to this week's local sports stories and... I think I'll start if that's okay. <laughs> and this is a uh, sorry an article about netball, which is getting some good headline stories these days. So the title is "Ruthless Stars Earn Convincing Victory." Seven Stars head coach Sam Bird described her side as ruthless as they brushed aside Surrey Storm in a commanding 55-43 victory. Stars held the lead throughout the game as they blew away their opponents, opening up a huge 24-goal advantage midway through a stunning third quarter in one of their finest performances of this year's Vitality Netball Super League campaign. We were dominant throughout, said Bird. I'm pleased with how ruthless the players were. I want them to push on and I don't want them to feel embarrassed about winning by big margins and that's really good to see. We won the third quarter 21-7, which is very rare and unusual and probably one of the biggest quarters we've ever won in the history of the club. It's just fantastic. Bird heaped praise on her side's defensive performance. Storm just couldn't get through our defence, she said. Becky Oatley did really well, was really disciplined at wing defence and stuck to the task. And the two in the defence circle, Sam Cook and Fumza Mawaini, were just amazing. 
The Stars continued to dominate the whole match, nearly doubling their opponent's score and ending the third quarter with a staggering 50-28 advantage. They rang the changes in the fourth quarter, resting several key players and giving court time to Rosie Allison, Ella Powell Davis and Amanda Davis. And although a slightly disjointed final 15 minutes saw their hefty advantage cut back, they still ended the game with a 55-43 victory. Um, my story is a very brief report on racing, uh, dated Monday, May the 28th. Hindlip trainer Martin Weston's successful point-to-pointer, Arthur Secret, won the opening race at Worcester's Pitchcroft. The Evens favourites stormed to success by six lengths in the Mary Gwillam's special birthday Open Hunters chase under jockey Abigail Banks. There were seven contests on the Celtic Marches cider race night, with Devon trainer Nigel Hawke claiming an early double through Doval Crystal at 10 to 1 and Lord Balham 14 to 1. Cricket now. Ferguson hits 192, that's 192, on debut in victory. Callum Ferguson had a debut to remember for Worcestershire Rapids with 192 runs and a record-breaking six-wicket win over Leicestershire Foxes in the Royal London One Day Cup at Blackfinch New Road. The Australian batsman was drafted in as a replacement for compatriot Travis Head and responded by smashing his runs from 143 balls with five sixes and 21 fours. Table toppling Rapids overhauled Fox's imposing 376 for four with 16 deliveries left. Ferguson got the county's highest individual list A score, beating Tom Moody's 180, which stretches way back to 1994 when he scored them against Surrey. He produced an awesome display, that is Callum, not Tom. He produced an awesome display of hitting with excellent support from Joe Clark, Daryl Mitchell and Brett D'Oliveira in securing a fourth cup win in five matches. There were just seven needed when he was caught behind off Aaron Varen Aaron and he left the ground to handshakes from many of the Foxes players and a standing ovation. Rapids total was their highest in 50-over cricket against first-class opposition, surpassing the 361 for eight they made against Leicestershire last summer. Ferguson bristled with attacking intent from the start and collected three boundaries in an over from Aaron. Clark, with 62 off 61 balls, was just as aggressive, and he had just lofted his third six when he holed out to deep mid-wicket off Ackerman. And I really enjoyed reading you that because I was there and it was a tremendous <laughs> afternoon. I'm going to continue the cricket theme with a story about Stephen Rhodes. The headline is Bumpy's Back in National Scout Post. Steve Rhodes is back in cricket as an England selection scout four months after leaving Worcestershire. The long-serving director of cricket exited New Road under a cloud amid allegations he hid, he hid Alex Hepburn's rape charge from the club. Rhodes had overseen the promotion of Worcestershire into Division 1 of the County Championship at the end of 2017, but was stood down and replaced by Kevin Sharp. Former internationals Marcus Truscothic, James Taylor, Richard Dawson, Glenn Chappell and Chris Reid are the other scouts nominated for similar posts under a New England selection system. The idea is for us to get better information on all the players playing in county cricket, said England's director of cricket, Andrew Strauss. This is not what some people think it is around loads of data and statistics. 
This is about getting qualitative information on what England's needs are. They will be compiling reports on players of interest to us, but those involved with counties won't be compiling reports on their own players. It is about formalising a process that has been going on in a more ad hoc way before. Um, this article is a, a review of the 2017-18 um, season for Worcester Wolves, the basketball team. And it consists of an interview with the head coach, Paul James. It was a season like no other for Worcester Wolves head coach, Paul James, and one that he does not want to see repeated. James has been coaching for more than 20 years, but the 2017-18 British Basketball League campaign presented more challenges than most. There were highlights as Wolves reached the BBL Cup final at the Arena Birmingham, where they lost to Cheshire Phoenix in January and secured a place in the playoffs for the seventh successive season. <clears throat> but this was overshadowed by a series of departures which threatened to derail Worcester's season. Jermel Kennedy was the first to leave the University of Worcester Arena in October before Captain Ashton Khan made a shock exit in December, just days after leading the team to the cup final. Having brought in Rob Gilchrist and then Michael Ojo, James would have been hoping for no further disruptions. But he was handed a double blow in March when Brandon Parrish and Elvisi Dusher resigned following a breach of player rules. James was down to the bare bones at times this term, as he had to call upon players from the University of Worcester on many occasions. But with the addition of point guard George Marshall for the final run-in, Wolves managed to play, clinch a playoff spot, only to fall to London Lions. This is my 21st year in coaching, and I have never had a season like this one before, said James. It was a new one for me, and I don't want to have a season like this ever again whilst I'm coaching. It was full of challenges throughout the season, so it was a case of keeping the players focused and the team winning, despite everything that was going on, and playing a style of basketball that people wanted to watch. The support has been better than previous years, so we must have been doing something right. Wolves ended the regular season in seventh position, their lowest finish since 2011. But James was pleased by the way his side coped with the amount of changes. It was a topsy-turvy season, James said. We started off slowly and then we got into a really good mindset. But any time players leave and you're having to bring in new players, it disrupts things and it's almost like starting all over again. I feel like we did that three or four times this season. When I look back at it, we made the BBL Cup final and there were only a couple of games where we were well and truly beaten. I think we played a good style of basketball and we were one win away from finishing fourth. To come seventh was a little disappointing, but on the whole we gave it our all in every game we played. There were times when we only had six players due to international commitments. We had to deal with a lot not only for the coaches, but the players who'd been here from the start and the new players who had to settle in as quickly as possible and try to make an impact. It was difficult for everybody. Wolves finished the turbulent campaign in thrilling fashion as they were edged out by Lions in a dramatic playoff tie, trailing by just one point after losing 85-84 to 84 in the first leg, Worcester battled bravely at the copper box but Lions won it 94-90 to 90 in double overtime. 
If there is a way to go out, that might be it. But it's still tough to take, James added. I don't think we do boxing very often, but we will do now. And this is just a short piece. Silver for City Fighter. Worcester City amateur boxing club's Owen Cooper earned a silver medal at the Three Nations Championships held in Scotland. The England fighter, pictured above, came up against Wales and Scotland's finest at 69 kilogram weight. Cooper beat Connor Burns from Wales on a 4-1 decision to reach the finals. The pair shared a 1-1 win record in two previous meetings, but this time Cooper used fast head and footwork to steer clear of Burns while coming inside to land body and head punches. Cooper was then edged out by Scotland's Sam Hickey, a Commonwealth Youth Games bronze medalist, on a split decision. His opponent used his height and reach advantage, but the Worcester boxer fought on the inside to target the body and pushed forward to apply pressure. Cooper was extremely happy with his performance and proud to bring home the silver medal for England, as well as the title of number two in Great Britain. And this is a story for any aspiring footballers. Open trial chance offered at Pershaw. Pershaw Town will throw open its first training session to wannabe footballers in a bid to unearth hidden gems. Any player aged over 16 can take part in the session at Town's King George V Playing Fields headquarters on Wednesday, June the 20th at 6.30pm. The move follows hot on the heels of manager Quentin Townsend's departure, with Paul Harris, his assistant last season, taking the reins. Harris acknowledged mainly the younger players would be on his radar when it came to retaining last season's squad. Those who stand out at the open session will be called back on Saturday, June the 23rd. Elsewhere, Westfields has appointed Paul Willits as assistant coach as part of a restructure of its management team. Former boss Sean Edwards will be head of football with Andy Bevan manager and Willits his right-hand man. The Hereford-based club is waiting to hear whether it will be transferred from the Midland Football League to the Hellenic League, which includes clubs from Oxfordshire, Berkshire, Gloucestershire and Wiltshire. There will be two or three sides going for it, so it's not going to get any easier, said Bevan. But that is the same in our league at the moment. It would give us some new places to go and would suit our footballing far more. Well, that concludes the sports stories for this week. Yes, that's okay. So that concludes the sports stories for the week. Uh, I thought they were a bit light, but maybe with it being a bank holiday, there wasn't so much going on. I don't know. Anyway, we'll move on to our radio uh, selections. We hope you enjoy them. The radio programmes are from the Radio Times and they are selected each week by our individually, us individually. So, Catherine, if you want to begin. Yeah. Um, and this is Saturday, 2nd of June that I'm looking at, and I've chosen two uh, items that I think I will be listening to on Saturday. The first one is at 1 o'clock on Radio 2, and it's Paul Gambaccini um, doing Pick of the Pops. He's counting down pop charts from this week in 1972 and 1980, with most of the top 20, when the charts included hits by Slade, Wings, Hurricane Smith, Don McLean, The Specials and Jonah Louis. 
And then the other thing that I think will be worth listening to is drama on Radio 4 at 2.30 p.m. Um, and this is an adaptation of a play by Carol Churchill uh, for radio. Four ordinary septuagenarian women gathered in a sunny back garden having a natter. They interrupt each other, lose their train of thought, wander off on tangents. But one of them is also a prophet of a forthcoming apocalypse, where those whose digestive systems are still working eat rats, and so on. This sounds um, very interesting, and it's a play that's called Escaped Alone. That's 2.30 on Saturday on Radio 4. Right, we're on to Sunday. Um, I'm a great fan of archaeology, so I'm certainly not going to miss at 6.45 on Radio 3 the Sunday feature, which is called Under the Water. It says 8,000 years ago, the area between what are now Britain and the continent was a fertile land of rivers, forests and hills. That all ended when a huge underwater landslide off the coast of Norway created a tsunami which flooded this landscape. Celebrated Danish feature maker Rikke Hood accompanies a team of marine archaeologists to a Mesolithic site at Boldnor Cliff to explore layers of sediment that bury memories of prehistoric existence. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? Now, on Radio 4 at 7.15, so I'll have to do a bit of recording here. I think I'm going to get both of these. <laughs> there is... Um, <laughs> Uh, a a, a programme called Ashley Blakers, or it could be Blakers, I apologise to him if it is, Goyish Guide to Judaism, Um, and he's been asked to write an article about it. I'll just read you the first paragraph. Radio Times has asked me, he says, as the only strictly orthodox Jewish comedian in the United Kingdom, to write a guide to Judaism for the uninitiated. So they're looking for a handy summary of a religion whose texts encompass the five books of Moses, 19 books of prophets, 11 books of other writings, plus 63 tractates of the Talmud, which alone is worth more than 6,200 pages long in around 900 words approximately 70 of which I've already wasted telling you this. He says, now that sounds good to me. I, li- I like the sound of this chap. So that's Sunday, 7.15, Radio 4. It certainly does sound interesting. Uh, I have Monday's radio um, suggestions. I have to say, it seems like Monday starts the week for so many programmes. You know, it's part one of this, part one of that. But I would like to draw your attention, first of all, to... Um, Book Club at 20. This is on Radio 4 Extra at 6.30pm. I'll read you the bit about it uh, because there isn't much information elsewhere. And it says, as Radio 4's wonderfully candid series Book Club turns 20, five authors are this week flicking back through the archive to pick their favourite dog-eared episodes. Today, Sebastian Fawkes chooses Arundhati Roy's classic The God of Small Things a powerful examination of 20th century Indian society and its caste system through the story of twin girls. This is an apt choice from Fawkes, whose own best-selling novels have often dealt with families pulled under by the tide of history. The most famous of these works, his First World War epic Birdsong, is also discussed here. Anyone who likes books, I reckon that's going to be a good thing to listen to. Then... More books at 10.45 on Radio 4. It's the book at bedtime. And there's, it's the start of 10 different episodes of a book by Louise Erdrich. I've read one of hers. It's a futuristic work, uh, and it's described as the world is in crisis. 
It actually sounds quite mm, unsettling for a bedtime book. Um, Fewer babies or their mothers are surviving to full term, and of those babies born, many have been identified as belonging to a more primitive species of human. Cedar Songmaker is pregnant and determined to find out as much about her baby's makeup as possible. It's abridged by Jeremy Osborne and read by Sherelle Skeet. Um, and there's also quickly a, a play on at 2.15 on Radio 4 called The Interrogation, which sounds really interesting. I could go on and on, but <laughs> that's Monday. Um, for next Tuesday, that's the 5th of June, um, I'm looking at Radio 3 and they have two programmes in the afternoon which I think would be very enjoyable, um, both classical music. At two o'clock, it's an afternoon concert from um, Ulster Hall, Belfast, um, with also music um, music from the BBC Singers and the BBC Symphony Orchestra, and that includes a programme um, of Tchaikovsky and Sibelius. And at four o'clock, um, Elgar's Second Symphony in E-flat is being played by the BBC Symphony Orchestra so if you like classical music that sounds like a lovely afternoon We are Wednesday now if you're up reasonably early Wednesday morning there's a programme on Radio 4 called Classified Britain it's only 15 minutes long um, and it's introduced by James Nochte now I listened to last week's and it was I'll tell you why this is relevant it was about the Hereford Journal for 1800 but anyway this coming <laughs> yes this coming Wednesday James Nochte explores history through front page small advertisements this time he looks at ads in the Dundee Courier of 16th November 1922 the morning after a general election that saw Winston Churchill displaced by the UK's only ever pro Prohibitionist MP Edwin Scrimger. Now I can't guarantee it, but the one on Hereford took us all over the place to castles and to coppiced forests. That was really, really interesting. So you might like to try that. Nine thirty on Radio Four. Now what else did I have? I had. Oh yes, that. No, wait a minute. No, I'm getting confused now. Yes. The Moral Maze. It's a long time since I listened to The Moral Maze, but it might be worth picking up. It's got some very controversial people on it, like Anne McElvoy and Melanie Phillips, chaired by Michael Burke. Moral Maze, 8 o'clock, Radio 4. It's, you know, when you sit down and actually look through, you think you could spend all day listening mm. to the radio. I've got two more dramas for this is Thursday, June the 7th. The first one is on Radio 4 at 215 and it's called Hilda, and Sean Phillips stars in the debut radio drama by French Senegalese novelist Marie Nundiai, examining modern-day slavery. And the story is about the wealthy Mrs. Le Marchot, become, who becomes obsessed with her new nanny Hilda, and develops a relationship with the woman's husband to glean more information about her. Uh, the other one is a a new series, and it's a political sitcom, which does sound a little bit lighter. That's at 11 o'clock in the evening, also on Radio 4, and it's written by Jonathan Harvey, and it's summer in Westminster, and the halls are alive with the sound of gossip as Parliament returns from recess. But young political editor Sam Peakes is struggling to stay afloat. Having drawn the short straw at work, she's being tailed around by Lawrence, the office intern, and she needs a story fast. That sounds quite jolly. Over to you. Well, concluding with Friday the 
8th of June. Um, I've chosen one from one program in radio t- on Radio 2. Uh, Chris Evans, Friday night is music night. And this time um, he is going to be playing music particularly um, featuring popular hits from animal-themed films, musicals and classical works. Um, hosted by CBBC presenter and keen wildlife photographer Barney Harwood, the musical menagerie <coughs> includes such furred, feathered and scaly friends as The Lion King, Chicken Run and Jurassic Park, as well as Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf, narrated by naturalist and Steve, children's author Steve Baxhall. Um, another programme that caught my eye, which I think has been going on, probably all week, um, is uh, at 12.04pm, that's just after midday on Radio 4, and it's stories of people whose lives have been affected by the Grenfell Fire, the Grenfell Wall. It's just a brief programme of what looks like 11 minutes, Um, stories including those caught in the blaze and people working alongside them to provide support and help. Yes, I think it is going on because I noticed it. And that concludes our radio selections. So we will move on now to do the obituaries. And uh, Catherine, do you mind starting with those? Sylvia Hussle sadly passed away on May the 19th, aged 82 years. The funeral will be at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, June the 6th at 1pm. Joyce Parks passed away at home on May the 24th, 2018, aged 88 years. The funeral service will be at St Andrew's Church, Ombersley on Thursday, May the 31st at 11am, followed by interment in the churchyard. Sybil Kathleen Hodgetts passed away on April the 28th, aged 88 years. The funeral service will take place at St Clement's Church, Worcester, on Friday, June the 1st, at 1.15pm. Sandra Potter passed away at St Richard's Hospice on April the 28th, 2018, aged 62 years. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, May the 31st at 10.45am. Carol Breyer passed away in hospital on May the 2nd, 2018. The funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, June the 1st at 2.30. Ronald Bufton passed away peacefully at the Lawns Nursing Home, Kemsey, on May the 7th. The funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, June the 8th at 10.45. Glenys Fowles, nay Phillips, passed away peacefully on May the 19th in the Springs Care Home, Malvern. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, June the 12th at 2.30. Christine Lessimore, nay Clark, passed away at Worcester Royal Hospital on May 10th, aged 70. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, June the 8th at 12.15. Margaret Marina Major passed away peacefully on May the 13th. 
The funeral will be held at St Peter's Baptist Church, Eden Close, Worcester, on Friday, June the 29th at 12.30. Peter Phillips passed away peacefully in hospital on May the 9th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, June the 5th at 1pm. Frank Wise passed away peacefully May 3rd, aged 89. Funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, June the 4th at 10.45. That concludes the obituaries and I have the uh, thought for the day. It's Psalm 90 verses 1 to 4. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. And we have just one more event to do before we wind up for this evening, and that's a birthday, I think. So, Catherine, yes. you've got the birthday book. Just one birthday uh, this week to announce, and that's Terry Roberts on June the 8th. So, happy birthday on that date. And happy birthday from us all. Indeed. Yeah. And in case you have forgotten already, I'm going to give you that date for the anniversary party. It's Saturday the 28th of July between 2 and 4 p.m. in the Commandery Grounds. And this is to celebrate 40 years of talking news. So all are welcome. Music, displays and refreshments will be available. So I would like to thank tonight's reading and production team for what I hope is an excellent job. Um, it's a goodbye from John Plush, our recording engineer, who's waving at you. You can't see him. And the team. So goodbye from me, Pippa. It's goodbye from me, Catherine. And me, Philip. And have a... Oh, you've had the bank holiday weekend, haven't you? I hope you had a happy weekend. We'll see you in a month's time.